All right, everyone, welcome to the real side of tech and operations. Uh, I've got an awesome guest today, Clint, and we will be uh, talking a little bit about plunger lifts. And I think the biggest thing to start with is the why behind uh, the conversation Clint and I are having today, which is um, plunger lift is everywhere in uh, U.S. onshore oil and gas. Uh, it's a headache. Uh, it's it's a challenge, and uh, it doesn't have to be so with some of the uh, insights that uh, Clint's going to share with us today. So I want to welcome Clint. And um, yeah, before we start diving into the uh, topic here, Clint, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, Kaizen Well Solutions, and uh, let's just hear about uh, your background a little bit. Yeah, you bet. Well, thanks, Spencer. Um, I've been uh, you know working in the oil and gas industry since uh, early, or well, I guess mid '80s. Uh, started out in operations and construction, and uh, found myself drawn to well optimization, and uh, mm -hmm. ended up working with uh, several different companies early on, um, Scroll Tools, and another a bunch of other ones that are probably not around anymore, yeah. but uh, yeah, I kind of fell in love with uh, plunger lift and gas lift and all that, that type of uh, optimization and uh, you know, just drew me in. So for the past, I guess, 30 plus years, that's, that's basically what I, yeah, I know it's basically what I've been doing. And uh, you know, I've run built a couple of companies over the years. Uh, the latest is a Kaizen. Uh, we're based out of Canada for the most part, but we do have a U.S. division as well, which is uh, AppSmith division. And um, yeah, we really basically focus on gas lift and plunger lift. Those are our two main things, design and equipment and and troubleshooting and different things like that. So yeah. Are two really good it. things to be focused on because if you look at what's growing in the uh, U.S. onshore on gas space, it's plunger lift and gas lift, either combined or separate or in different phases. So uh, those are two really, really good areas to, to be focused on. So nice. Yeah, yeah, I've really seen the uh, the application of gas lift uh, increase quite a bit, especially in right. Canada. You know, up until a few years ago, there was very little gas lift onshore. Uh, so it's, it's been an interesting learning experience as well to uh, when we start combining a, the gapple and all that and how to make things operate. So, you know, so it's been, been quite a, a learning curve, I think, for everybody involved in the industry. Yeah, no, uh, learning curve is a, a, a good way to put that because it's yeah. been hard <laughs> uh, yeah. speaking from my own experience. So yeah, that's awesome. And um, yeah, you know, your, your background is uh, long lasting. And, uh, you know, I think you, when, when we were talking uh, here in Denver, you know, what struck me was your your experience in the field. Uh, you've touched wells. You you're not just uh, someone who um, knows plunger lift from afar. Like you've tracked them. You have been a part of design. So tell us, like, you know, if we're talking plunger lift today, wh why should we listen to you? Because you know your experience is huge. So tell us a little about the details of what you've you've done. It's it's deep, right? Yeah. Well, I, you know. Why people should listen to me? Well, really, what people should be doing is listening to everybody and gathering data, not just me, obviously. But um, <clears throat> I mean, the, the, especially when we're talking about shale, it's been such a uh, an, an amazing learning curve. And, and myself, with all the years I've had, I learn stuff every day. And and so we should all be listening to each other. And conversations like we're having today and sharing is is key to improving and moving things forward but you know I, I think from my experience is that uh, you know I, I've always approached it from the field I've always 
you know, I froze my ear on a, on a side of a lubricator. Anybody that's in northern you know, mm-hmm. U.S. or can't understand what that is, well, you're listening for that plunger to come up. Um, you know, I've I've installed them. I've you know, I ran wireline trucks. So I've done you know basically everything uh, around it. So you know, and the the other thing I feel that I is I I guess maybe because I'm so passionate, I want to understand why it does something. So mm-hmm. if I don't know. I will spend the time and effort and, and I have great people around me. My team is great, you know, to gather uh, data and try to correlate like what, what is repeating? What is, what is happening over and over and over? If, if a plunger is doing something or a gas lift is doing something, what are the patterns? And that's one of the things I've really found with shale and horizontal is pattern recognition is much more important than say rules of thumb. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, that's that's a whole long conversation on its own. But but yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, uh, change compared to vertical wells, um, where you know it's really you know rules of thumb worked well, and you had a certain amount of rise time and a certain amount of fall time, and you know you, you, it was it's kind of in a nice neat box. And and when we talk about horizontal wells, a lot of that stuff gets thrown out. And and again, coming back to the learning, it's it's really pattern, pat, understanding the patterns. What what what's your gas flow doing? What's your plunger doing? What's your casing doing? And uh, I've watched through multiple different areas, you know, Eagleford and Permian and the the Motney and the Duvernay up in Canada, and you know, the, the the patterns that you can see are kind of move through all of these horizontal wells, different depths, different pressures, but there's certain patterns, and it helps you recognize and. And that's one of the things that um, maybe is really hard to understand is, or not understand, but to, to learn is, is to kind of put away some of the, the learning that we had on horizontal wells, or sorry, on vertical wells, mm-hmm. and, and use the pattern, you know, the new, the understanding why that stuff is different now in a horizontal well, for example. But, yeah, that's something that, you know, it may be your first time hearing this, like, newsflash to everyone, but you can't treat a horizontal well like you can a vertical well. And that's like, you know, we've been drilling horizontals for a while, but I think we're just now realizing that this, uh, not just now, maybe in the recent years, kind of figuring out that, gosh, I can't treat the way my rules of thumb um, I was on vertical wells, carry them forward to my horizontal wells, inspect everything to be rosy. So that's a really interesting uh, piece to bring up there. And, and um, yeah, that's a, uh, a challenge I think we're all facing right now, which is why I think plunger lifts is a critical thing to be talking about in the industry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but it's 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 definitely a a thing that we can all learn more about. I mean, it, the learning never stops. I I can guarantee it. So yeah, yeah, and it's a uh, it's best to learn on the job, and that's where you've had your experience. So we appreciate where you've been coming from on this. So uh, that is awesome. And you know, I think some of the topics we we you know discussed would be interesting to our, to our listeners are really just like the, the problems that we face day to day and um, thinking about practical ways that we can get better at, um, you know, solving them. So what I think is uh, most pressing from the customers that we work with at task, and I'm sure you have it at Kaizen is, is a um, uh, plunger selection. Like when do I swap from a ball and sleeve to a padded or a Venturi or whatever type of plunger. It's the plunger selection, which I think is really challenging for just 
anybody to figure out and to get it right. Uh, and, and is there a right? Uh, so I think that's one thing I really want to hit with you today. And then also the maintenance element to it. So everyone has to do inspections. Everyone has to you know, swap out plungers. And, you know, they swap with the same type, uh, they swap with a different type, but maintenance and type, I feel are, are two pressing um, problems that I think we could shed some light on here today, Clint. Yeah, well, you know, I guess when we talk about type, I mean, what do we mean by type? And, and there's, uh, I'm going to break it down and kind of how I think about it so everybody understands what I'm talking about. But there's kind of, to me, three types of plunger. And there's, there's a uh, the ball and sleeve or a two-piece type plunger. There's a free cycle, which can encompass several different styles where you have a rotted surface and it trips a valve open. You could have a rod built into it. You know, it could be uh, just a ported type, like the Venturi type plunger. So I would kind of classify that as a free cycle of a Venturi really isn't a drop against flow plunger, but it, it falls faster than say a conventional plunger, which would be, you know, no, no bypass port, no, no valves, no anything like that. So that's, that's, so, so those are the three types of plungers. And I kind of break them up into those three groups. And I do that because there's a real distinct difference in the way I look at a conventional solid or a non-bypass plunger versus a free cycle or a two piece. And when I'm, when I'm, you know, this kind of the line in the sand, and, and there's a little, I guess it's not a line, but the, the road in the sand, it's a little wider than a line, is that when I'm looking at conventional, or uh, sorry, a conventional plunger, it's really about your gas to liquid ratios, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, and, and how much, what, what is your total production gas volume and liquid production that you're going to make? Mm -hmm. So we, and I use a lot of the rule of thumb you know, the, 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 the 400 to 1200 standard cubic feet per barrel per thousand feet deep is kind of a, you know, if you fall on that, that could be a conventional type plunger. When I'm talking about free cycles and two piece, I consider them a, a velocity plunger. And they're not really looking at building up pressure, typically. Mm -hmm. What I, I use is I'll say, well, if I can get my wellhead velocity if I believe I can get the wellhead velocity to 50% of wellhead critical to probably 60% of wellhead critical. And as your well gets deeper, that percentage has to climb up a little bit, but somewhere mm -hmm. in there, it's probably a good candidate for free cycle or a two piece type plunger. And, and the reason for that is, is, you know, especially, especially in the two piece or the pacemaker style plunger, you really want no off time which is critical in that plunger. If you have any sort of off time that allows that plunger to get to bottom without flow, your chances of damaging plungers and bottom hole springs is extremely high. Even with lots of fluid, those things yeah, can move so fast. Even more on that, Clint, on the, the two piece, you know, you, you mentioned like you shouldn't have any off time. Like what, what happens from what I've seen is people will have five or 10 minutes. They'll start running it like the thing they should be running next, which is your your free cycle, right? So right. Um, there's other consequences on the ball and sleeve, right? Around, you mentioned to me before the weight of the ball and actually it's a poor seal because it's shorter, right? And the ball can kind of pop out. So tell us about the the consequences of, of saying, running this different type being the ball and sleeve in an inappropriate application. Yeah, so, so a ball and sleeve plunger, for example, it, it is typically inefficient because They'll usually have a little more, uh, less OD many mm -hmm. times. They have a very thin 
uh, wall so they don't have a lot of ridges to create that turbulence. They're typically a solid. You can get some pads in that, but I would always stay away from that. There's too many moving parts in a very high velocity blunder. But it gets away with that because you can make so many cycles. Sure. So, so who cares if the plunger only lifts 40% of the liquid it starts with? You, can, you yeah. can make 150 cycles a day. And you don't really need to shut the well in. So you can actually make up that inefficiency. Mm-hmm. But as you start shutting the well in, efficiency becomes a lot more important because you're, you're starting to lose your total production time. Right. So if I got to shut that well in uh, uh, with an inefficient plunger for five or six minutes, but I got to do that 25 or 30 times a day, you know, I'm losing a lot of production time. Sure. Where if I use a, even a free cycle, that might be a longer, you know, a two piece, uh, sorry, a, a solid, but a longer seal surface or a padded style where I have a, a better seal efficiency. I can lift that fluid instead of needing, you know, 20 or 30 cycles, let's say to lift that amount of fluid out of the well with five minutes of off time, I can maybe do that with 15 minutes or 15 cycles or 10 cycles because it's, it's losing less fluid as it comes up. So it, 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 it can make a big difference. And uh, that's when the efficiency starts to make a bigger difference. I mean, two-piece two plungers are really, I always look at them as, as the, the dragster. I mean, they're the top fuel you know, you got a well that's screaming and you want to run that thing up in there and you're running down and grabbing a little bit of fluid and zipping it back out and maximizing your maximum flow. But with the dragster, your maintenance and your your cost to run it is much higher. So your, your payback has to be much better. Yeah. And the yeah. second you start shutting it in, and people don't maybe realize this, but, but a two-piece plunger um, and many examples they, they can fall you know between five and six thousand feet a minute easily wow. even in a well that's flowing and and if you you know you have a well that if you're shutting a well in for five minutes guaranteed it's at the bottom right yeah and and if that thing is traveling and there is you know it, and, and it can get back to that speed very fast so if you have a bunch of liquid strung out through the well it might slow down that plunger as it's going through the liquid but is there liquid at the spring or you know like because again, you're not shutting in very long. So that liquid is probably that's in the tubing could be strung out. It's not sitting there as a, or may not be sitting there as a big, you know, column right at the spring. So if it it gets through that liquid and then hammers the top of that spring, you, you have a tremendous amount of force. Kinetic energy in those is incredible. So. And and regardless to, you know, the arguments out there, I've heard of, well, look, I'm not having ball damage. Like my, my uh, ball isn't dimpled. My, um, I can still keep running this ball and sleeve. It's the question at the beginning was around like, it's, it's just inefficient to be running something uh, that only seals, you know, for, or, or, or prevents water leakage by 40%. So yes. it is, um, it, it may not be damaged, but it is damn sure inefficient, which is becoming the, the argument you brought up is like, if, you, if you're having shut-in time, you probably need to start transitioning to what you were mentioning on the on the free cycle piece. So how do people know, like when, when, because I feel like that's one of the bigger questions of with the operators that, that we've worked with is, um, you know, I look, I, I put my free cycle pl- or I put my ball and sleeve plunger in here. It's, it could work really good for months. Um, and then, you know, you start having uh, some production issues and liquid loading. And so you, you increase the off time, but you don't change the plunger out, right? So you just can't kind of keep working your way to this 
uh, volatile, um, unreliable well. And then they start questioning, huh, you know, is it the plunger or should I change it? So how do we get better at knowing when the right time to transition on these newer wells is? So when a two-piece plunger, and I would call this a hard and fast rule that everybody should follow. If you have to shut that well in for any longer than it takes that plunger to come out of the wellhead, mm-hmm. right? So you, you, you shut it in, takes you a few seconds for the valve to close. And then once it's closed, the plunger slid out of the wellhead, come off the rod that's inside the lubricator. If you need to shut it in for any time, you either to build up enough pressure to get it to uh, come back up or to get it to fall far enough um, because there's a really high rate, you need to do something. First of all, it, the second you're shutting it in more than that takes for it to come off the, the rod, in my opinion, you need to look at changing plunders. Okay. Okay. So that, that's kind of a hard and fast rule. Now it doesn't mean, so if I got a really high rate, does it mean I can't, I, I, I can't use that plunger? It does, doesn't mean that. What it means is I may have to change sleeve weight. I may have to change ball weight, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a whole other conversation about how that's all supposed to work. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's kind of been a lost art as well. I mean, the, the way your ball combinations, but, but what I see happening is because people want to get the efficiency, they, they start seeing the plunger not cycling. So they start running longer sleeves, even though they're shutting in. Right. So now what happens is they, they, they run a very heavy sleeve, and they're shutting it in. So yeah, they weren't having trouble before when you run a six inch or a, an eight inch or whatever. So, but, but you start putting all that extra weight and again, your kinetic energy impact in that bottom hole spring is, is huge. Now, Clint, you just said something right there that because you're an expert, you know this, but why is a longer plunger better for when things are getting inefficient? Well, it, it, it's, it's, you know, the, the longer the plunger is, the more, what do you call this differential resistance for causing right. across the plunger. Now, what really creates a seal around the plunger is the gas that's flowing by it. The gas mm-hmm. going by it is what is holding the liquid up. It's not a, it's not like a swab cup. It doesn't work that way. It's not a positive seal. Like if you ran down the wire line with a, a plunger on the end and you went scoot out of the well, uh, the chances of lifting any fluid with a shut, you know, just trying to swab like you would normally is, is practically zero. You, you may get a little bit, but it, it's really, not pulling anything. So what creates the seal around the plunger is the gas that's going by and it's, it's differential. So there, there's a, um, you've got to have a certain pressure drop across it, right? So if in the pressure drop is required to make that plunger move, you've got to have a differential, the plunger, whatever it's three PSI or whatever the number might be. But as that plunger wears, or if it's shorter, you just don't get the same pressure drop across mm-hmm. it. So you have to move more gas across it. I, I don't know if it's a right analogy, but I always explain the opposite. say, you know, how much, what's your differential across a, a, you know, an orifice plate if you're running a half inch orifice or a quarter inch orifice plate. And if you're running a, a, a you know, a one inch orifice plate, I mean, you, you, you got to run a lot more gas to get the same differential. Well, whether your plunger is wearing out and allowing more area between the tubing wall and the plunger, or the plunger is long, shorter, longer, it, it impacts that. So it's all about what, what differential can I create across that plunger with the gas that's going by? And, and as that length gets longer, I create a bigger differential. 
and, and it makes those plungers more efficient. Basically, you know, when we talk about efficiency, there's, there's a lot of ways of getting, you know, what does that mean? But it's really about how can I make that plunger move with the least amount of gas going by it that will push that liquid to surface. Yeah, that's a really good way to describe that. So, yeah, I'm not sure, but yeah, so that that's that's kind of a that's why longer plungers. And I mean, there's probably some advantages on a. I mean, it's really important on a solid plunger, right? A, a solid steel ring type plunger, um, because the the what you make up for the inefficiencies on the od because it, it's just, it can't expand and stay close to the wall mm-hmm. and it has to at least be drift or should be drift so it can go through the the collars you got a lot of bypass area so you have to make that up with length and we did some testing uh on some different plunger lengths and we found that a like a 24 inch two and three eight solid plunger almost performed exactly the same as a dual pad a good quality dual pad plunger as far as lifting ability um and uh uh you know the amount of gas it required to move it and you know all the all the matrix that we use to to check that and that's really interesting you say that because people think the only way to seal is using a a a padded plunger and you know that right there uh using length to compensate when situations you can't use a pad it you can still be efficient right i think that's a really interesting point you just made right there and I, i hope the audience is listening to that because you don't have to um, you know, have the pad if you are in a situation where you can't afford it. Maybe it's paraffin or something and length can assist in uh, some of the um, uh, better sealing, right? So that's a really good point there. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you shed some insight on your experience with the length stuff, but you did glaze or, or glaze over one thing you did in the past. Didn't you tell me one time you were part of like the first people uh, to help design the, the ball and sleeve, right? Weren't you involved in that? Yeah, I worked with uh, Mike Wells and Mark Wells at MGM when yeah. and, uh, um, we were, I had my company uh, up in Canada and I got introduced actually through uh, um, a, a working um, uh, relationship mm-hmm. to Mike and he was telling me about this, this great plunger that he'd been using down in the States. So I went and talked to Mike and brilliant guy, really good guy and uh, still talk to him to the day, but he, uh, he had this two-piece plunger, this pacemaker, and I got to learn about it. And I thought, man, this is just a brilliant idea. But there was a lot of learning that had to go around this mm-hmm. because, again, it's you know, it's like giving a learner's a guy with a learner's license again that top fuel dragster. We had to understand how the thing performed. But through through time, it it uh, you know, when when you understood that well, that plunger and and how it interacted with the well. You could do some amazing things yeah, like wells yeah. that we could never produce with plungers before uh high volumes like high liquid like we we're moving you know in a ver- and these are vertical wells back then there was very few horizontal when we mm-hmm. started but you know you, you can move 150 200 barrels a day with a plunger which was completely outside of the box oh, uh, yeah. on, a, on a real strong well so yeah it, it and and also learning you know weight you know what's what what's a weight ratio between sleeve and ball now you gotta also remember there's kind of two two piece plungers out there mm-hmm. there's the one that uses the ring which locks the ball in place and uh they're not really concerned about weight because it's basically locking it in place and then there's what the two the pacemaker is where it doesn't have a ring and and that one it, it's it's the ratio between the plunger and the ball are very important because if you're 
if, if that sleeve and ball are moving up and it ever stalls or for whatever reason, if the ball is actually the wrong weight compared to the sleeve, it'll fall faster than the sleeve. So it'll be coming partway up and they separate because there's nothing locking them in except for the differential across the plunger. And once they separate, that ball goes faster than the sleeve. So it's got to run all the way to the bottom again before it makes that contact and then it kind of starts back up. So, um, so, so that was one of the big mistakes I see guys will throw in a real heavy ball with a, with a plunger and then they have a lot of trouble where it's inconsistent or, and that's what's happening. It's separating and can't keep up. So if, if you, so, so that's, that's, it's really key to understand that. And, and then when you get into the ones with the locking rings, you know, and they, they work for a while, but they're mechanical and we find that the, the locking rings don't last as long as you would hope. So then you end up having kind of the same problem where the ball is not staying in the sleeve. And, and if you're running a tungsten carbide ball to get that down to bottom because of your flow rate or the amount of fluid, you start all of a sudden getting really inconsistent, inconsistent runs. So even on those, it's good to have some sort of an idea on your weight ratio. You don't want to be way out of uh, whack, I guess, between your weight ratios. And um, if you want to keep that thing performing for a longer period of time, so. Okay, so ball and sleeve uh, pacemakers, we, we're, we're moving on to, we've just transitioned over to um, your free cycle. Uh, I love the rule of thumb you put out there, which I think is really good for the audience to hear again, which was if you're requiring some sort of off time, if you're doing any sort of pressure build with a ball and sleeve, if you're shutting in any longer than it takes for the, the plunger to fall out of the lubricator, it's time to switch. So. Well or it's time to consider again. I mean, it's not it's time to consider. Consider, right? Yeah. If if you're shutting it in to build up pressure, it's time to switch. If you're shutting it in because you can't get it to fall, it's time to consider whether you need to be a heavier plunger ball combination. Mm, okay. Or good. Yeah. So good clarification. Yeah. yeah. And then so now we've transitioned over and we're looking at free cycle, right? So we've just realized, uh, wow, we're we're shutting this thing in for pressure build because I've I've seen that with with some customers of ours is is sometimes you'll you'll see uh, seven, 10, 15 minutes off time with a ball and sleeve and, uh, just trying to transition them to the next phase and getting that buy-in to, to move towards a free cycle. So, all right, let's go to free cycle, but how do I know which one? There's so many options out there. There's a five port, there's Venturi, there's uh, name your combination. There's a lot of options to choose out there. How do I choose the first right one transitioning from a ball and sleeve over to a free cycle? I would say the, the, one of the, the very first things that I, when I'm talking to, you know, the field guys and, and we, we, this is a big conversation with, with a lot of the guys understanding when do I make a choice? It, it's really, if you, if you just take the plot of the wells buildup, right? Mm -hmm. How fast when you shut the well in, how long does it take to basically curve off and flatten out? Mm. Right. Um, and if, if I'm shutting in a well and in five minutes, it's basically built up and curved off and kind of flattened out. And, you know, as you're getting that very slow build, it's doing one or two things, probably squeezing fluid out of the tubing at that point, sure. you know, past your, your relieving standing valve or whatever. Then you want to, you want a free cycle that has a lot of bypass area because you need to get that plunger down there fast. Mm -hmm. Right. So that could be a, your five port or your large bypass area. But if I have a plunger that's taking say 20 or 25 minutes, to build up so you're shutting the well in a little longer can i get a say a venturi or a or a, a smaller slower falling plunger yeah. 
down there in that time. So you kind of let the well decide, not so much what, you know, and but understanding how it builds up. And, and if it builds up very fast, you want a much faster moving plunger. And, and it's kind of the same with the, you know, even looking at the two piece, if, if you shut it in and, and, and that typically you'll see a well like that, they snap right up, they're ready right. to go in a couple minutes. It's a no brainer for a two piece, right? Even though you're not shut in, but it, you, you know that it's really responding so fast. The, the other thing is to consider is packers or no packers. Mm-hmm. So great point there. That is a lot yeah. of people out there. I've, I've got a friend of mine working in the industry. He was like, it is so hard to operate uh, a plunger lift well when I can't see the casing. Um, yeah. and, and again, does that, you know, if we talk rule of thumb for um, vertical, it's very important to have uh, some casing pressure there because of the, the buildup. But does it really apply to horizontal? And I know you'll get into that, but yeah, uh, packer, no packer, go into that. Yeah. So, like, I mean, again, to stay with vertical wells, if you have a packer in the well, um, it's much harder to run, obviously, a conventional right. plunger. But for what you're saying, you just want that storage area. So, but uh, if you have a good inflow, you're better than that 55, you know, 50 to 60% well at critical rate, or you can get there. It, it actually works better than a conventional running a two piece or a, or a free cycle because you're, mm-hmm. you're just, you know, everything that comes in is being pushed up the tubing you're, and, and you're just getting down there and getting those small bites of fluid and keeping it moving. So, so, and, and again, it kind of moves into, well, uh, a free cycle plunger or a two-piece plunger, you know, it's going to be better than 65% of well at critical. So your GLRs are probably quite high because, you know, there's a rule of thumb of about 1,200 standard cubic feet per barrel or greater when you have a packer. Well, probably if you calculate it back and forth, when we, you'll find that you're at least that or a little better. And that's when you would run a two-piece anyways. But if you're below that and you're needing to shut in, it can be very, very difficult to get enough gas to drive a conventional plunger up there because uh there's just no area to store it right vertical uh, that's a vertical in, in a horizontal you gotta remember we run tons well not tons but see we don't see a big impact uh negative impact with packers on with plunger in fact okay. we actually see a positive impact most of the time with a packer in a horizontal well really okay. um, yeah what, what we find is in, and there's a whole conversation about how fluid moves and fluid gets past the end of tubing and stuff. But if we run a packer um, and, and you've got this, you know, mile or two miles of storage area in there. Mm-hmm. And, and so when you shut the well in, you still have a lot of volume that you can store energy in with a conventional well. And you're with, referring to the horizontal, you got mile or, or two of just yeah. horizontal buildup. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got, you've got an area to store that gas. Right? But before it was the casing, you were building yeah. up all that right there to kind of help in getting that plunger surface. Now that it's okay to have a packer because that pressure build uh, and stored energy to push is really in that horizontal. Is in the horizontal, so you okay. can you can get away with it, and and uh, or you can have some good results for with it. So, um, yeah, so so it's not nearly as important. And, and then the nice thing about a packer and a horizontal well is that any of the fluid uh, that moves to the end of tubing is basically forced in the tubing and, and oh uh, right going down. You know where where. If you don't have a packer, a lot of times, or most of every time we've ever monitored it, we'll see fluid actually gets hung up past the end of the tubing. So, so a percentage of the slug that moves down the horizontal gets pushed past the end of tubing. Hmm. The the well, the energy that was pushing that slug to the end of tube, you know, to the to the tubing, uh, drives whatever fluid went into the tubing to surface, and then of course that energy 
is dissipated. And as the pressure comes off around the end of tubing, the fluid that, that got pushed around the tubing starts to collapse back around and starts to enter the tubing, but there's no energy there to drive it up. Mm -hmm. So you can, you, you can have a really interesting dynamic about fluid movement down hole when, uh, when you don't have a packer in a horizontal. So we, we've, We've seen this work where we've just gone in and, and actually put a packer and a gas lift system in on a well that you know won't change in a tubing, won't do anything, but we put a packer and some gas lift, won't even turn on the gas lift. Just we just turn on the yeah. well and a well that they couldn't keep flowing will take off and flow for another no way. six months yeah. or a year. They remind me of like again, a funnel. It's like basically preventing the 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 bypass of the water and it's it's kind of stopping the water from going to the casing and it's being like, no, you got one place to go and it's the tube. Yeah, that's very and, interesting. And you're, and you're keeping the energy behind it basically yeah, it's pushed, yeah. whatever it pushes there it's going to carry it up so mm -hmm. i mean i mean i don't know if that's always 100 percent, but we sure. see that an awful lot i mean the one problem we have with packers and horizontal wells is is you know it's, it's a very small percentage of the overall wells we work on so i got a lot more but but i do know the ones where we've done that was several we got several examples where yeah just dropping a packer and took a well and made it perform wow. and you know where where it wasn't before so so yeah there's a lot of I mean, horizontal wells. There are so many different things that it can back, impact the way the well is producing. And the tubing position is critical. Packer, no packer. I mean, uh, you know, so many things that, that you've got to look at. If you're having trouble, you know, if, if I was working on a horizontal well and I was having trouble, the very first thing I would do is say, I need to see the completion report. Mm -hmm. Understand where everything is. You know, am I landed high? Am I landed you know, in the, in the vertical or in the, uh, down in the, the toe, yeah. you know, where's the end of position? All, all these, all these things make a big difference. I think that's a podcast in itself because the horizontal struggles are, are just, um, yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a lot of learnings that you've had. I know the industry has had that we could probably share out there. So yeah, yeah let's, let's make sure we talk about the horizontals and um, the upcoming <laughs> one that we got to get knocked out, recorded you and I. So um yeah, man, I think what's really interesting you were mentioning there is is just the, the difference in um, uh, the perception on packers. Everyone has a negative perception on packers, um, but maybe in application being in horizontals, it's not actually a bad thing. That is um, kind of industry shifting from just the vibes I've gotten from some of my optimizers I've talked with um, where they, they see a packer and a plunger well and like, ah, oh, you know, I wish they would take it out, right? And that may not be so, which is really cool to hear. So I'm glad you shared that. And then uh, I think what I'd, I'd like to hear from you is really, you know, you're, you toss some rules out around um, selecting the right uh, free cycle, which is really around like how the well is building, you know, yeah. well, the question was what free cycle plunger should I select? And you're like, it's well dependent. I love that. Cause every well is a little snowflake and you know, they all have their own personalities and they all have their own Facebook profiles and they all doing different things. And the um, type of plunger is selected by how it's building. Right. So do you need it to be at bottom in five minutes? You know, like you said, lots of ports. Do you need to be about them in 15 minutes? You know, that'd be less, maybe one port or something. So love that um, synopsis there. I think what I'd like to drive you towards now is kind of just, you know, so we've advanced from uh, ball and sleeve to free cycle. And now we're like headed towards um, a more of conventional style. And that can be so different duration wise in so many different wells lives. Like, is that one year? Is it five years? Is it you know, is it after six months? I think I want to restate the problem we're looking at here is like, when is what we're looking talking about? Like when? So talk to me so, about conventionals. Yeah. So, so a vertical well is easy, right? We talk about the rules of thumb. You, when you're, when you're down below the, that, that's when you're down below at 60% or 50% of critical, 
or I mean, uh, wellhead critical rate, you know, it, it, you're pretty well are moving towards a conventional well or a conventional system. You might get away with like the Venturi or a little faster falling plunger in there as a little stop gap, but basically you're moving towards that. That needing one clarifying that. point here, Clint, just for the audience, the 50% of wellhead critical. Tell me um, a little bit about that if someone doesn't know much about the critical rate at the wellhead. Yeah, so, so you just, uh, you're basically tubing size, tubing pressure, uh, you know, and, and you can calculate, uh, and there's, there's graphs out there for operators and lot, there's lots of companies, almost all the uh, plunger lift companies will have a little graph that'll show you what your critical rate is at a certain pressure with a certain size tubing. So it kind of gives you an idea what your critical rate is. And, you know, basically critical rate is, is the velocity or the volt, you know, the gas velocity that you require to lift the heaviest fluid that's in that uh, produce, what is being produced. Right. Um, and, and it is different between, you know, water and the condensates and stuff like that. Like you can lift condensate uh, many times where you won't move water as a, a very effectively. So it's a heavy critical rate for the heaviest fluid. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, that's kind of the, yeah. the very quick <laughs> description of it, but but uh, you know, if if you don't, and, and you don't have to know critical rate if, for the operators out there, but if they if they don't have one of those um, uh, graphs, you know, reach out to their plunger lift suppliers, or maybe they can respond to either you or me, and I'm sure we can get get them a, one of those sheets uh, that give them a kind of a basic understanding. And then if they're below that set point, hey, you should be looking at a conventional. Yeah. And, the, the other thing that now you're saying, when do I run a conventional plunger? Now here, here's, you know, in, in vertical, like I said, it's, it's pretty straightforward. You can use all the rule of thumbs and stuff like that. But when we start talking about horizontal now, oh, yeah. create all sorts of interesting things because beyond understanding what plunger is going to do the best is what actually moves the fluid the best in the horizontal. Mm -hmm. Because I've seen a lot of wells where we'll actually start out a very strong well running a conventional plunger. And the reason is we're only cycling it once or twice a day. Mm -hmm. We shut it in for that hour or whatever. We build up some energy and that well kicks that plunger out. We clean a little bit of paraffin that's built up. And then that well has enough built up energy that it just cleans that horizontal section and lifts fluid like crazy for 12 mm -hmm. hours or 24 hours or whatever. And then you can cycle it again and it works really well in that application. And then as the well starts to lose that drive, then we'll start moving towards maybe a, a two-piece or maybe a free cycle. And then we'll actually, because now we need the plunger to do more of the work. So, you know, initially the well is doing 100% of the work or 99.9% .9 of the work. You're just, you're just using that plunger to a bit of a mechanical interface to move some paraffin out of the way and help maintain the tubing uh, condition. And also ensuring that when you do shut that well and you bring it on, you're getting a really good sweep of that tubing, getting all the fluid out of the way so you can create the hmm. best differential between end of tubing and that formation, which can really let that well push fluid. And then you'll get a lot of that water that's dropping out and all that stuff and it'll move and the well will go again. But it's kind of like most guys, you know, if you ask them, hey, what happens when you shut your well in for a couple hours and you just bring it back on? What does the well do? Yeah. Right? I mean, so if you automate that, you put a plunger in there to ensure that you're really getting that into tubing as low as possible, you're going to get a positive net result, even when the well is well above critical rate. Because critical rate, when we're talking about tubing, you know, and it's a problem, another whole conversation. But in the tubing, when we're talking about critical rate, 
it's ex much, much lower uh, number than it is when from end of tubing around that transitional to horizontal. I mean, you need you know, three, four, five times more fluid or gas velocity to move that fluid around that transitional area. So, so shutting these wells in and using that conventional can make a big difference on how that fluid moves. It's not dropping liquid water. It's not, you know, building in that transitional. So, so, so we start out with a conventional possibly. Well, I, I think I, I want to hit that real quick because that's so, you know, different than the, the vertical rules, the vertical rules say you go in order, you, you, uh, you know, you start at, um, ball and sleeve, you move to free cycle, then you move over to conventional and you keep, it is a transition, right? But what we're talking about here is, you know, it's not by order, you end up getting conventional. You can start your well on a conventional if kind of what you were saying right there, like you're suggesting is sometimes a well needs a clean sweep of the entire horizontal. Um, like you were mentioning fluid flow and, and uh, liquid buildup in the horizontal is challenging with plunger lift. And we have another podcast where we need to talk about that. But the, um, you know, one hour buildup, why do you, why would you put a ball and sleeve when you're doing a one hour buildup? It's, it's a conventional plunger, right? So that's really, uh, I think, kind of groundbreaking to hear is that it's, you don't always have to start with a ball and sleeve. It could no, be the, no. the conventional, right? I mean, it, one of the, this, this is a, this is a truth that I have seen across all these horizontal wells. Production time, your total on per day does not equate total per production right. yes yes in a vertical I've, well it is that. much different i mean hours on equals production but in a horizontal mm -hmm. well i don't see that in fact um had a great conversation with some guys down in midland and they mm -hmm. uh, after a training and they went out and tried some stuff and you know they they did that where i taught you know don't worry about your time on worry about what what you need you know shut that well in build up some energy make some fluid move because mm -hmm. if the gas if the well is flowing in a horizontal well if you're flowing that well and it's not lifting liquid with the gas that's liquid you're never going to get out of that well, mm -hmm. right? It, it, you, you, have to, you have to use that gas, that energy to drive that liquid out. Constantly. That is so critical way to say it there. Like, why are we producing the gas if it's not being used to get the liquid up, right? You know, if gas is $50, I mean, maybe, maybe trending there, but it's not. The, the commodity is, is the, the oil. And also it's about deliquifying the well and making sure that, that we don't have that, that weight bearing down on the formation. So I think... What you said right there around um, it's it's using the gas to get the liquid um, and there's a better way to do it. And that could be by building up longer instead of the conventional thought of I want 10 minutes off. Right. We've seen this lots where we'll go out, pull a two piece plunger out with and the well is more than it'll sit there and run a two piece plunger. No, you know, exactly. Yeah, like absolutely. No problem. We'll go out there. And, and you can just, you know, the well's running nice, everything's mm -hmm. going good, and we'll switch out and we'll go to a, a, a free cycle, for example, and we'll give that thing 10 minutes off and, you know, say 15 minutes after flow. And <laughs> basically you shut the well in, plunger goes down, you bring it back on, it takes 10 minutes to come up, it flows for 15 minutes, and all of a sudden you go from basically, you know, 23 hours a day of on time down to 16, and then mm -hmm. but when you look at the total production, it actually is better. It's a 30% cut and you get yeah, more production. And, yeah. And we get more production and we see this all the time. And it's, it, I know it, I say this to people and they, they think I got horns growing out of my head and it doesn't happen every time, but in these horizontal wells, you have to be willing to experiment with this and try it because, you know, coming back to gas conservation, even the only tool we have to move fluid through that horizontal today, that's really effective is the well's own energy. 
when that's gone, when it's used up, nothing's pushing that fluid down there. We're not reaching down. We're not putting pumps down there, at least effectively that I know of yet, that are really doing a good job that aren't costing everybody a fortune. So you need to, you need to keep that fluid moving. If you keep that fluid moving, I mean, take two miles of four and a half inch horizontal holds Mm -hmm. an awful lot of fluid. It's a pretty big separator. And, and if I'm producing, you know, hundred barrels a day, I, I probably got, you know, 24 to 30 hours of retention time as that fluid's moving through that horizontal. So if I got water and oil and gas, what's my water doing? It's separating out. It's staying behind. It's right. not moving because, because that gas going across the top is moving that fluid, the, the, the light ends to the tubing, but you're just changing the, the, uh, the percentage of water and oil. And eventually what's going to happen is you're going to get this big slug of water. And I think if you talk to anybody that's gone out, swabbed a well that's gone down on them, those horizontal wells, and, and if they produce water, which pretty well all of them do some percentage, and you ask them, well, how, what did you produce the first swab? And I'll bet you they'll say 99% water. And it's an 8% water cut. Well, mm-hmm. what did the second swab do? Well, probably did 99% water, right? Because all that water is built up and got left behind. And, and that creates also, and that's again, this whole conversation about fluid movement in the horizontal. But by shutting that well in with that conventional plunger mm-hmm. or shutting that well in, you can keep that move fluid moving because you're using the energy to basically you know control slug. It's 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 forcing the well to slug that fluid and keep it yeah. moving to the tubing to control where we can slugging. handle it. I like that. Yeah. It's like you're you're letting it build up long enough to control the slug that's coming from the horizontal. Yeah. You're not letting the uh, the cycles uh, dictate whether you get 80% oil or or 10%. You're you're kind of the controller there. So I, I like that. And I think it's just really interesting, just the use of conventional early on in life when you think of conventional and you think, well, these are conventional plungers. They must be really old. Or a, a conventional plunger well must be really old. It may not be. So, um, yeah, very, very solid point there. And I think the the piece, okay, so let's say it's not part of the um, uh, early life of the well. It's actually, you know, we're three years in, two years in, and I'm trying to figure out I need to go from, uh, or I, I've got a... Uh, uh, Venturi style or some sort of uh, free cycle plunger and my well starting to become, you know, unreliable. How do I select, am I say unreliable? It's, it's your miss and runs now. Um, you're having short cycles. There's some, some issues there. What do I do to figure out the, the next plunger to, to move to in the life cycle of an aging and pressure declining well? Again, it kind of comes down to uh, the buildup mm-hmm. a little bit, right? So, if, if I'm running a, a free cycle, my well, so let's say the well is whatever, 10,000 feet deep, or let's just say, let's say it takes you one hour to get that plunger to the bottom. Okay. That's based on your rule of thumb numbers and your tracking. And that's a conventional plunger. If my well is ready to come on in 37 minutes because it's built up and it can lift that plunger, do we want to leave it shut in any longer than that? Mm-hmm. The answer not. is probably no. So that means that really a conventional plunger is hurting you at that point. And you would run a continue to run a free cycle plunger because it can be the bottom. Maybe it can be the bottom in 20 minutes. That's why you don't need a great big bypass area. Mm -hmm. It can fall slow and, you know, and all that and still get down there. It gets down there in half the time. It's ready to come on in 30 minutes. Well, at 37, you can turn it on. Mm -hmm. But if I shut that well in and I'm not ready to lift until 57 minutes, 
yeah, I would run a regular conventional plunger because there's very little uh, loss production through that. So, so it's, it's, it's again, it's kind of using the wells to tell you, you know, and it, it's based on, well, how long does it take my plunger to get down there? How much time am I losing, right? If I'm ready to come on in 37 minutes, I'm missing 23 minutes of potential production time, which is going to reduce the number of cycles I can do per day, which is going to result in lost production, mm -hmm. you know, more than likely. And, and that's the thing. If you look at when I was talking about, you know, shutting a well in longer and, and, and we get more off time, you know, when you talk about that conventional plunger, we're saying, well, we're going to shut up one hour a day. Sure. It's still flowing 23 hours a day. If I talk about a free cycle where I'm shutting it in, say for 10 minutes and 15, and you can say, oh, geez, I'm, I'm only flowing 16 hours a day. But if you look at the way the well builds up and is it still building up? Is it still bringing pressure in? Is the well still producing basically? And if I get to the point where the well stops inflowing and becomes stagnant or fairly stagnant and it's off for 15 minutes, then I'm losing. But mm -hmm. if I'm shut in for 15 minutes and that well is still building up and I can get that plunger to come on because it hits that magic, you know, uh, weight or energy rate and I can bring it on, then great. Because I'm just going to get all that energy that I brought into the horizontal. I mean, I got a gigantic storage area. It's all going to come up and it's going to carry things through and it's going to lift the fluid and push it through. And that's so there's it's really using the well to tell you sure. when it's time to switch. But then what to, if I what if I tweak shit? So that's what you find with, with uh, a lot of the operators and optimizers is like, I like what it's doing, but like, what if I give it two extra minutes of afterflow time? The consequences of that is you don't build as efficiently, right? Because you're, you're, you're letting the, the, the formation kind of breathe too much, right? So that what, I've seen, what I've seen with some of the operators is they'll uh, keep off time the same. Um, let's just say it's 30 minutes. And then they'll start tweaking and raising their afterflow time or even dropping it. But typically they're looking for a little bit more. So they go on the higher side and um, then they're, they're sitting there with a, a well that was before it was ready in 15 minutes. You know, now after a week, it's ready in 25 minutes. And now you have non-arrivals because it's not, you know, building up as long. Talking about that because then we, we have people doing set point changes and some of those aren't helping the the reliability of the well so should we be tweaking afterflow time as much as people are yeah i, right. I think that i think because because you said every well is a snowflake so you there's no hard and fast rule on what's right or what's wrong with these mm -hmm. wells especially horizontal i mean but you know, vertical yeah i mean it's it's, it's easy to, to again they're, they're very bait you know pretty yeah, much yeah, simple. but then when we're talking about a horizontal you know, you, you should try something, but the key, the real key is making sure that you record it mm -hmm. and you come back to it. And the biggest mistake I see guys make is they go out there and they got 50 wells to look after and they mess with 30 wells because they think they can get a few more. Well, then how do they track anything? Do they write it down? Do they come back? Do they analyze the data? Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, in, in the, what you guys are doing, you know, that data anal analyzing that data, what's coming in is yeah. really going to give you that information. So you sure you try it. Okay. Well, I want to try adding a five minutes to my flow time and, and I record, well, what is my gas doing? What is my casing and tubing pressure doing? What is my liquid doing? And we should be also recording. What is my water doing? Because the very first thing you'll start seeing is water percentages will start to drop if right, the wells right. liquid loading. Unfortunately, most people don't have really good water um, recording methods, sure. right? So you don't always see that, but where you've got really good 
you know, meters and when recording, you can see it very quickly mm -hmm. when water starts to percentage starts to change, mm -hmm. you know, something's coming, the well's going to load up and die, or you're going to have that issue. And even, even if it was well above critical, but, but, but yeah, you, you, I would never tell anybody not to try, but what I would say is if you're going to do it, you need to record it. You need to understand what it's going to do. Then when you get it to that point where it's stable, go the other way and do the same thing. Mm -hmm. did it make it better did it make it worse like like compare the two you know and see because because again is 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 the problem that we're not flowing in the well long enough to bring in, in enough liquid or is mm -hmm. the problem we're not building enough energy to move the liquid to where the plunger can lift it and they're two different problems right totally. if we're shutting in the well we're not flowing long enough and the well just doesn't have any liquid and it's not in it and you know we just we just the glrs are low enough or you know they're high enough that that we just need to flow longer to get a liquid lift that's, you know, sure, then that was the right move. But if the problem was that really we're just losing the energy and the liquid's not moving, then that was the wrong move. Yes. And you need to actually reduce your afterflow time or, or you know, you reduce your afterflow and then you, then you maybe look at increase your, your uh, close time or your, your buildup time. And then that's, yeah. it's, it's one of the key things is, is when guys do stuff, don't, don't change three different settings. Change one setting, wait for, you know, I would suggest at least 48 hours till everything's stabilized, record the results, positive, negative, everything, mm -hmm. make another change. And, 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 these, and that's the only way you'll ever figure out these horizontal wells. And every, no, you, you can have you know, 10 wells on a pad and end up with 10 different results from doing the same thing. Wow. Yeah, but, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, and, and as the guys do this, and they, if they start really recording that information, it becomes easier. It's, it's really hard in the beginning because it's you're recording stuff, you're doing this, you're doing this, you do this, and, and, and it becomes laborious. But, but once you start, you'll start recognizing things, the patterns. We get back mm -hmm. to those patterns again. You'll say, oh, man, I've seen this before, and I know what that pattern means. What, what, what you know, I've seen it. I see it in the flow rate. I see it in the casing or the tubing or whatever and once they recognize those patterns and they become more and more reactive to it yeah. and it becomes easier and easier to to have success so, so yeah that's a that's a big one right there is uh you know <clears throat> if we are working on the right plunger and uh we have um you know the right uh off time um and we're tweaking things the tweaking needs to be captured so if it is captured we can learn from it and by um, you know, learning from it, you can obviously operate the, the well in a more reliable fashion. So that's a big, big insight there is uh, capturing it. And I don't know if many people are doing that uh, outside of Cigna right now and being able to measure uh, the performance of it. So uh, big opportunity there to, to have something automated for it. So that's really good, Clint. Um, yeah, so I think we talked pretty in depth about the, the different types of uh, plungers. You said the, the three big ones are your um, your ball and sleeves, your pacemakers, and then you have your, your second category, your free cycle, and thirdly, your conventional. And, and um, you gave some good rule of thumb, but really, I think what you shared a lot of insight with me on is, you know, we need to, we need to read these wells, like their um, uh, personalities, their, their build characteristics. And it is not a, a hard and fast rule of now that uh, your well is six months old, or now, now that your well you know, reaches X percentage of, uh, of, 
of efficiency, well, now let's swap it over to this type. It really is about um, being able to read and understand that uh, it's build characteristics. So that was really insightful for me, Clint. And uh, just want to leave it to you to, to throw anything else at the audience. I, I will say we've got to talk about horizontals and we've got to talk about liquid and horizontals and the way that fluid flows, because that's what we're dealing with. The Packer thing, I think is so inf- insightful. So I think, uh, you know, we've always, obviously have another conversation coming, but uh, anything else to just share with, with plunger tights to the audience? Well, you know, it, yeah, I, you know, I guess to, let's talk about the, the, what I call a seal type when, you know, there's a pad or a brush or a solid mm-hmm. and, you know, making sure that you're using the right thing. And I know a lot of people have a tendency to move right to pad plungers, you know, because of the, the efficiency, but, but, it, you know, in these, and especially these horizontal wells, it, it's really important to make sure you consider the environment. I mean, sands and waxes sure. and different things like that. So you, so you want to be very careful on what you're running in them and, and probably, you know, Eight years ago, 10 years ago, when I was doing this, you know, a pad plunger was the workhorse of plunger lift industry. It was, yeah. And today it's solid conventional plungers because we're doing so mm-hmm. much in these shale wells and there's so much paraffin and wax and mm-hmm. other issues that that you just can't have any of these these extra moving parts in there that are really going to create a lot of issues. Right. So and and that's where we start making up uh inefficiencies by using you know, longer solid plungers and yeah. things like that. So I guess that, that, that would be one, you know, one thing really think about what you're going to put in there. And the last thing I would say is, is, you know, nobody should say to their operations, Hey, don't touch it. What they should be saying is touch it, record it, evaluate it. And let's figure out what makes more sense because, because well, it, it should never take away, you know, you know, there's nothing like standing beside the wellhead and hearing that plunger come in and, and seeing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can get a, I mean, the, the, the data that you get from your SCADA and stuff is critically important, but standing there and listening to it adds a, just a little bit more that you, so, you just don't get from that data itself. And, um, and it can be very insightful. And, and nobody runs something better than somebody that understands it, right? And, uh, you know, and can make suggestions. So, so I, 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 don't, I don't think anybody should be scared. I think they need to be trained. I think they need to be safe. Safety is critical. But uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm a big supporter of making sure that anybody that's running a well and running a plunger lift has the opportunity to adjust it, learn from it and, mm-hmm. and understand it. So they, they become a much stronger part of the team. That's great. So, yeah. Yeah. Such a good conversation today, Clint. Really appreciate the time and the insight you shared with everyone. So uh, thanks for knowledge dumping on us and a quick plug for, for Clint uh, Mason, just, just the Kaizen Well Solutions is doing some really great stuff around gas lift and plunger lift and would really recommend just going to their website, checking them out. Uh, if they're in a, your local area, you know, great, great people to use. If uh, uh, they don't happen to be in your basin yet, Clint's a great person to reach out to and just talk plunger lift. And there's, there's other ways to help from, from afar. So I uh, would yeah. recommend talking with Kaizen and, and uh, just appreciate the time today, Clint. You bet. Thanks, Spencer. And, and, and I, you know, enjoyed the conversation as well. I always do when we talk. It's always uh, yeah, man. interesting. We can go for hours, can't we? <laughs> I, I know. We could, we could tell stories all day and bore everybody to death, but, but I enjoy it. So I really appreciate it. All right, Clint. Well, thank you so much. All right. Have a great New Year's. Yep. See you, buddy.